Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 17. We'll continue in John chapter 17. This week and over the next several weeks, we will immerse ourselves in the prayer of Jesus as he was leaving his disciples and this world and headed to the cross. This is the longest recorded prayer offered by our Lord during his public ministry on earth. It has been rightly designated as the high priestly prayer. Pastor Jared gave us a great introduction to this last week. And we'll continue in it uh, for the next several weeks. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. If you remember back to chapter 13, 13 through 17 is all really one unit of text. It's all playing out as the Lord has humbled himself, washed the feet of his disciples, instituted the Lord's Supper at Passover. He's been teaching them in chapters 14, 15, and 16, and now he offers this prayer. He's just given them words of comfort, love, peace, and joy, knowing that their hearts are sorrowful and will become even more sorrowful and that they will be greatly troubled and sad as they witness his death on the cross. He knows where he's going. He's telling them directly. They don't understand it completely, but they're starting to like wonder what's happening here. He says, you know, you're going to have sorrow. And I know you're, you're sorrowful, but that will be turned to joy, he says. His words were for them, and they are for us today also. So I want us to read this text and, and understand that this is Jesus' prayer. He's praying for himself. He prayed for his disciples, and in it all, he was praying for us also. We'll see that in the text. His prayer was also for you and for me. So as we read this, we don't need to be thinking, oh, this was for them back then. It was, but it's also for us today, and we need to hear these words. In his prayer, we will see some themes come out. God's glory, the glory of God, the glory of Jesus that we've even been singing about in these hymns, the unity of believers, that we will be one as Jesus and God the Father are one, unity of believers, fullness of joy, verse 13, his joy would be made full in us. And God's love, as he has given us command, this is my commandment, that you love one another. We will see that also here in his prayer. And so this text is so deeply beautiful and glorious and robust and rich. Uh, I thought we need to, we need to read the prayer in its, in its wholeness, in its entirety. So basically the chapter, we need to, we need to see it in its fullness uh, and, then, and then begin working through it. And I can't tell you how much I've struggled to come up with an outline for this because this, this isn't one of those linear bullet point type of things. I mean, you can make it into that, but if you do, you, you start throwing things out. 
It's like, you know, pouring batter into a waffle iron and you got all this extra batter and you put the waffle iron down and all the stuff sprays out the sides. And like, like, I, I don't want to just cut that off around the edges and throw it out. So that's why we're going to, we're going to walk around this text for the next several weeks. We're going to walk in and through this text and, and it might not be a perfect bullet point outline. And, and God has told me that that's okay. <laughs> that's that's okay and actually you know, i was actually pretty frustrated i was telling katie she's always asking me you know, how do you feel about your sermon and i said honestly i feel terrible about this sermon this is not like i don't feel good about this like this thing is just so big so glorious so amazing i can't even begin to find the vocabulary to describe how wonderful it is and like i can't even outline it well at least i don't think i have and she's like, you know, sometimes those are your, your, some of your best sermons. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll see. You'll be the judge. So forgive me if it's, uh, if it's not neat and tidy and all packaged up with, uh, you know, nice little bullet points and everything. But what I want us to see today and over the next several weeks is the glory of our Lord God and Jesus Christ and how that impacts our lives today is I think there's a big disconnect in our lives in regard to God's glory and our joy. I think we have trouble connecting those two things. I know I personally do. And so let's read this text and we will walk through it together and enjoy the journey, I pray. Let's pray before we read the text. Father, we do pray for your help, God. We need your help. We need your help, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Help us, Lord, as we encounter your word, your truth. Even in this prayer, the words say, your word is truth. May your word penetrate deeply into our hearts, God. May we put aside all the distractions of the day and of the week and center our thoughts and affections on you. And, and God, I pray that you would show us your glory today in these words. Help us to not just see it, not just to know about it, but to feel it in our souls, God, and have an experience of your glory in and through us in this time. And may that pour out into our hearts and fill us up with your joy, that your joy may be fulfilled and filled in us. And that would pour out of us and, and into this world as image bearers of Christ in this world. May they see your glory in our hearts and your joy in our hearts. May this world turn to you and give you praise and glory. And so do that work in our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 17, Jesus has just been teaching his disciples and when Jesus had spoken these words, verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world 
existed. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, they may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. Can you see the robustness of this? It's like a beautiful tapestry woven together. Love, unity, joy. Glory, all there right before our eyes. And notice what he said just before his prayer, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, you will have trials, you will have difficulty. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He finishes those precious words of comfort and peace, and then he lifts his eyes and heart to the Father in heaven, 
and praise. This is an example for you and for me today. He, said, he had said everything to the disciples that he needed to say to sustain them through the difficult trials they were about to face. He then offers this prayer to his father and our father. So from preaching, he passed on to praying. And that's a model for you and for me today. We can learn from Jesus that after we've done all that we can to serve and to love and to teach the holiness and comfort of God to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to our community, even to the ends of the, the earth, even strangers, that when we complete that work of teaching and serving and loving, we, we turn, we pray, we pray, just as Jesus is praying for us. And we ask in prayer that God the Father would bless them and keep them, that his spirit would use his word to bring about change and new life in their hearts. Even the King of glory, Jesus Christ, prayed. How much more do we need to pray? I think I remember a quote of Martin Luther. Uh, you know, he said, I'm too busy not to pray. So often we think, well, I'm too busy to pray. No, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. And I loved his words. I'm too busy not to pray. He would spend hours a day in prayer and still think he needed to pray more. And so Jesus is modeling for us here to pray. You know, our doctrine has no power at all unless God's spirit is at work in a person's heart. You can preach all day long without the power of the spirit. There's no power. It's the spirit that uses God's word to bring about heart change in our lives and in others. And so we need to pray. We must pray. So he moves now from fixing his gaze in the beginning of chapter 13 at the disciples' feet in humility to wash them. He's looking down. His posture is down. He's on his knees. He's looking down. He's washing feet. He's humbled himself. To now lifting up his eyes to heaven. To ask for God's majesty, his excellence, and his glory. This is Jesus Christ, creator of the world. And we see even in him, his confidence, his help, and his glory are from God the Father above. And in these chapters, we see the dynamic of the Trinity, the, the tri-unity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They're all here in these chapters, 13 through 17. And they're all seen in their specific attributes and work for our benefit. And so as we, as we walk through the text, we can see he's praying for himself in the first five verses. Then he's, he's praying for his disciples. And then he finishes praying for all who would believe in him throughout, throughout history. And it's all woven together. And as I've been reading it over and over again since the summer, for me, it's, it's really centered in on, on verse 13. We see Jesus's desire, our Savior's desire in his heart, that we have the love, joy, and peace of God in our souls and that his joy be made full in us. Verse 13. 
And this is really only possible and happens through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we hear his word, understand his word, and are kept in his word, which is truth. It is the inerrant source of truth in our world today. And many people want to know the answer to that question. What is truth? Even Pilate asked Jesus as he's interrogating him, what is truth? We have the truth in our hands, brothers and sisters. This, the word of God, is truth. You can believe that. You can trust in that. So let's walk through the first five verses together. He says in verse one, the hour has come. And that's a new statement, isn't it? Because all along through the gospel, you see, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Don't tell anybody about this miracle. My hour has not yet come. Jesus, knowing that his hour had not yet come, he eludes their grasp. By all up to this point, the hour had not yet come. But now the hour has come. It's here. This is the seventh and the last time Jesus refers to his momentous hour. It's the greatest and most critical hour of all human history. It was the hour when Jesus' work on earth would be finished. The Lord of glory would be made sin for his people and bear the holy wrath of God. It was the hour he would die. And you can even extend it beyond the physical 60 minutes of an hour that he would die and rise again to fulfill the prophecies concerning Messiah and ultimately bring glory to God the Father in doing so. That's what it was all about, Philippians 2, for the glory of God the Father. And so he asks, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. This is all about the glory of God. And, and this is the the mega topic that I have felt crushed by this week as I've been preparing. How do you preach on the glory of God? Books and volumes of books could be written on the glory of God. And, and I struggled even with the vocabulary to express it because it's so multifaceted. So he's talking about the glory of God. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. It's all about God's glory here. And there's a close connection in these beginning verses. Glory for Jesus. Glory for God the Father on which his heart was set. Since Jesus had been given power and authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as the Father had given him. There's a double object of desire and subject of prayer here. The glorification of the Father in giving eternal life to the elect. And the glorification of the Son as the means of accomplishing it. Jesus here, he prays not to be glorified for his own sake. Did you notice that? He doesn't say glorify your Son so I'll be famous and have lots of likes. It's not about his glory. It's about the glory of God the Father. He prays that the, that the Father might be glorified. In our salvation, those are the words he's bringing together here. 
See how much Jesus loves us, loving us even to the end. There's so much to learn from this. And so first, what can we learn from this? That the true remedy of trials and suffering is to look to the glory that follows. Jesus is looking at the cross. He even says it was the joy that was set before him. The cross was joy set before him because he knows the glory that awaits afterwards. And so as we walk through trials and suffering, we look to the glory that follows. We persevere through suffering with hope, hope of glory, not for ourselves, but ultimately for God, the Father that comes from it. We we don't fix our focus on the things which we see, but the things which are not seen. And we defeat our current sufferings by faith. We read about that in 2 Corinthians 4. And so Jesus' mind here is in heaven. And when our minds are in heaven, we can have strength against the pains and the hurts of our hearts that we feel here on earth. Paul calls them the momentary light afflictions. And he went through a lot. Because <laughs> I read that sound like, that doesn't sound momentary and light to me. That sounds rough. I mean, you're in prison. You're getting beaten, stoned almost to death. They leave you for dead. He calls that momentary and light because he, he understands the eternal weight of glory that's to come. And next, notice that Jesus wanted to be glorified by the Father and for the Father not by men or to be honored by the world. He's not talking to his disciples now and saying, all right, now's the time, grab your swords. We're going to go out and get some glory for ourselves. And he had the power to do that. That's not his aim. That's not his direction. He's not seeking glory for himself. He's seeking glory ultimately for God the Father. And so this should be our desire also. And this is where, like, I think we go day to day. I go most days. I'm not thinking about God's glory. And the Lord's just like, well, what are you doing? Then? What are you living for? What's your purpose? Well, what's the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose in life. And if you really think about it, as you read through the whole Bible, you, you'll notice, like, everything that God does is for his own glory everything you can ask questions about the bible you know god why would you allow that why would that happen god and it's all ultimately for his own glory it even helps us deal with the with the, the difficult doctrine of of sin and suffering in the world why does god allow sin why does god allow suffering in the world why why would a perfect holy god allow that for his own glory is the answer to that question. As hard as that answer might seem. And so Jesus' ultimate desire is the glory of God the Father. And that is the example he is setting for us. Whatever we do is to be done to the glory of God the Father. Nothing should be asked from him that isn't ultimately for his glory. Sometimes people ask me, like, how do I pray? What, you know, what should I be praying for? How do I pray about this? 
Like, I don't have the specific words for you, but I know in your heart, you need to know that what you're praying is ultimately going to lead to the glory of God. Otherwise, you know, we pray a lot of, I know I've prayed in my, in my life a lot of what I call picnic prayers. Like, God, please not let it rain today. You know, I'm playing, praying for great weather for my picnic while the farmer over there is praying for rain. <laughs> you know? So like, what's, what's God do with that, right? And I think of that as kind of like a picnic prayer. Like, I'm praying for that one thing for my own benefit. That's not for God's glory. That's for my great picnic. <laughs> now, is it wrong for me to pray that way? No. But is that lining up with everything we're reading here in John 13 through 17? No. <laughs> if I'm honest, it's not. So I've been thinking about that a lot more these days. Like, how am I, where's my, where are my prayers going? What's their ultimate end? And I'm trying to, to turn them, change them, to, to lean deeper into the heart of God and seek his Lord. So in all of that, what is the glory of God? As I, as I looked over this and poured over this, <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, we talk a lot about the glory of God. But what even is it? What is the glory of God? What does it look like? You know, what does it feel like? And this is where I, I, I have page after page, and I'm feeling so like inadequate in putting this together. I'm like, that, that, even that is just a, a tiny little piece of what the glory of God probably is. But there are pictures of the glory of God throughout the Bible. So I pulled out just a few, because time doesn't permit to go through all of them. But I pulled out a few, and one of the first that came to my mind was in Exodus 33. We see Moses begging God, pleading with God, God, please show me your glory, he said. God, please, he's begging, he's crying out, please show me your glory. You see, Moses walked with God. He saw God in a limited way. He experienced God in a way most of you and I will not. And even, even at that point, he was asking for more, more glory. Please show me. He knew there was more that he hadn't experienced yet in Exodus 33. He says, please, God, show me your glory. And listen to what God says to Moses. Some of you are familiar with this passage. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now, that, oh, that's a head scratcher right there, because I've seen other verses where it's like, oh, they were with God face to face. But what has to be meant, meant here is like, I can't show you, I can't fully let go for you or fully take the veil off because you'll just die and you, you can't see my face and live you can't see my and experience my full glory and live verse 21 there and the lord said behold there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by I will put you in a cleft of the rock. That's like a little crevice. I'll hide you in there. So God's 
going to take him and even put him into there. He didn't say, Moses, you go in there yourself. God's doing this. I'm going to put you in that little crevice cleft of the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand to protect you. Because, man, you can't, you can't handle all this glory now. Until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Whoa. That's power. That's, that's glory. Glory, we don't even have words, vocabulary to describe. That it would just kill anyone who's in the presence of it. That's why in the resurrection, we need glorified bodies to be in the presence of the Lord God. Because these earthly bodies, warts and all, can't handle it. Can't survive it. Our earthly bodies cannot experience the full glory of God and live. When people are in the presence of the glory of God, they, they fall on their faces as if they're dead. Even, even in the presence of angels, which have just a little, just a fraction of God's glory, they fall on their faces like dead men, the Bible says. Read it over and over again. And they're constantly saying, oh, don't be afraid. That's how you know it's a true angel of God, because the first thing out of their mouths is, oh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Demons don't say don't be afraid. They don't talk like you. They want you to be afraid. That's how they control. So that's the, that's the kind of glory that we're talking about. That's how powerful and glorious God's glory is. You know, it reminded me, like, so Pub loves Godzilla movies. So we're watching Godzilla. And, you know, Godzilla got zapped by the oxygen sucker bomb thing uh, in the Godzilla movie. And so he had to go back to his cave and be refreshed. And so they reignite Godzilla with this nuclear weapon. And now Godzilla is like supercharged, right? And so he's coming, he coming to save the day. Some of the kids have seen Godzilla, you know this. And Godzilla shows up on the scene in the city and he's getting all <clears throat> charged up. And he goes from like blue light Godzilla mode to like, <laughs> like anything in like a five mile radius of Godzilla is consumed. That's how powerful and awesome the king of monsters is right and you watch that in the surround sound and the you know all the lights and everything you're like whoa that's a powerful being right there and godzilla is like an ant compared to the glory of god the father that's the kind of glory we're talking about here it's like godzilla times a million glory so you can just, um, just try to imagine it. So I'm like thinking about this. As I'm, how do I even describe this? So even this little puny Godzilla analogy isn't enough. You know, another way to think about it is, you know, we've had an eclipse here. And, you know, to look at an eclipse, you've got to put on those, those special glasses. They're funky glasses. You know, they kind of look like the 3D, but they're, but they're eclipse glasses. And, man, everything looks black, right? And you got those glasses on. They're super, super, super shady. Because your eyes, you're going to be looking at the sun, and your eyes can't handle the power of the sun, right? Don't go out there and try looking at the sun. Like, immediately it hurts, right? 
And so to get a glimpse of even an eclipse, like an eclipse is the sun being hidden. It's kind of like, you know, God's hand was over Moses to protect him. The moon is coming in front of the sun. You can kind of get a, get a glimpse of it, but you've got to even put glasses on, special glasses to experience it. God's glory is a million times more powerful than that. Sometimes, you know, if you don't have the glasses, you, you get this, uh, like a, you make a telescope out of a cardboard tube and you put a piece of paper on the end of it and you poke a little pinhole in it, tiny little pinhole. So you can look through that and, and see the glory of the eclipse. And so these, these are some just illustrations. I want us to feel the weight. Pastor Jerry was talking about this last week, the weight of this, it's heavy. It's God's glory. It's bright. It's shining. It's powerful. It has mass. It's heavy. The word awesome is way overused in our culture. So if I use the word awesome, which would be appropriate, it's kind of minimized because everything's awesome these days. Everybody's awesome. Everything's awesome. Even the Lego movie song. You can tell I have a lot of kids because I always come back to these analogies, right? Everything's awesome. God's glory is awesome. Our earthly bodies cannot experience his full glory and live. In John chapter 11, we see the power and glory of God demonstrated in bringing Lazarus back to life. So, so this, this glory isn't just about what we see in shininess and brightness. It's also power to raise people to new life. Jesus told Martha, you remember, did I not tell you that if you believed, if you believe, Martha, you would see the glory of God? Martha saw the glory of God manifested in bringing Lazarus out of the tomb. Peter, James, and John saw the glory of God when on the mountain with Jesus, the mountain of transfiguration. You can read about this in Matthew 17. It says he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. So this is Jesus here. Powerful, all-powerful, almighty God. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Man, that would be cool to see. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, I'll do my God voice here. This is my beloved son. That's not a very scary God voice, sorry. With whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, what did they do? They fell on their faces and were terrified. Too much power. They couldn't, they couldn't bear it. It's like their legs collapse out from under them. They fall to the ground. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise, do not be afraid. John saw a vision of his glory when he saw the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God. In Revelation 21, we read about this. Revelation 21, verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, 
and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. <clears throat> and the city has no need of, a, of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's Jesus. The glory of God is so brilliant, brothers and sisters, and it's so bright that there will no longer need to be a sun or a moon to give light to the new heavens and earth. God's glory will be our light. There will be no longer any darkness or night in that time. Think about that. There'll be no sun, no moon. It'll always be illuminated by God's glory. There'll be no more darkness or night. The glory of the Lord will shine continually on all creation, and God, God will be our light. That's Revelation 22, verse 5. <clears throat> That's the kind of power and glory God has. And Jesus shares in his Father's glory because he is one with God the Father. And he has told us that over and over and over again. And so his prayer and his desire here is that his death will glorify God. In his dying, that God the Father will be ascribed even more glory. Now that, that's another way glory can be manifested. It's through like praise or, or, you know, we read in the Bible, give glory to God. I've always wondered about that. How do I possibly give glory to God? Well, it's through my praising, it's through my worship, it's through my humility. I direct and I reflect. It, you know, any of the goodness of God and the glory of God is, is to be like, we're to be like mirrors. Pastor Jared was talking about this last week. We're to be like mirrors that reflect that out into the world. It's not for us to just soak up for ourselves. We're to be mirrors that reflect the glory of God into the world. And so we, in our lives and in our words, we give glory to God. We don't take the glory for ourselves. You know, thank you so much for your, your, uh, your service, brother or sister. Yeah, that was great of me, wasn't it? <laughs> That's not what we do it for. <laughs> Right? You don't want to think of it that way. Like, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to show my love for you, my love for God. I'm going to give glory to God for that. I mean it. And so his prayer and desire here is that his death will glorify God. He doesn't even ask to be saved from this hour. Said so even that earlier on, like, should I even ask that I be saved from this hour? No. He doesn't ask that he would be saved from this hour. So often when we're headed into suffering, we don't like suffering. Who likes suffering? I don't like suffering. And so I often ask, you know, God, please, like, don't let me go through that. And it seems like the more I pray for things like that, the more I go through. 
God, save me the burden of X, Y, Z. Oh, boy. That burden's on me heavier than I've ever thought it could be. Oh, Lord. So don't, I'm not going to pray save me from this hour, but God, sustain me through this terrible experience so that you may be glorified in it. That's a better prayer. And that's God's prayer. Or that's Jesus' prayer. <clears throat> now look at verses 2 and 3. Here we see Jesus gives eternal life. He says in his prayer, since you have given him authority over all flesh. So God the Father has given the Son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the place that, that God had destined Jesus to occupy was that of rightful authority over the whole human race. The work appointed Jesus was to give eternal life to all the elect. Here we have another verse that talks about the doctrine of election. And we see a further confirmation of what we saw in John 6 and John 10, that God the Father draws his chosen ones to Jesus. They hear his voice and they come. And how does that happen? Well, it happens through us sharing the gospel with the world, with our mouths. We've got to speak it. We've got to proclaim the gospel in the world. It's not enough just to be kind and loving and serving. We have to tell people why we're doing it. We're doing it to give glory to God the Father and because Jesus loves them. Because Jesus loves me, and by trusting in the Lord Jesus, you can have salvation by his grace through faith. We need to say those words. And I understand I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I'm trusting in, in Jesus for that. We need to share the gospel with the world. And when they hear his voice, his sheep are out there. We know this from his word. When they hear his voice, they believe and they come. God knows them, and they know him. Jesus knows them, and they know Jesus. They hear the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, and they believe. And this is the work of God, and it is accomplished for his own glory. Jesus gives abundant and eternal life to his own. This life is for both right now and for the future. It's both right now present in our hearts today, and it is also far off into eternity. We don't wait for eternity in heaven to have joy and love and peace. We have it right now. We don't wait for eternity in heaven or the kingdom to have life. We have life abundant right now by walking in faith in him. So true life, abundant and eternal, is in knowing Jesus, believing in Jesus. And that is why John wrote this book, that we would believe in Jesus and that in believing, we would have what? Life in his name. It's the purpose of this book. It's, not, it's worth noting here, too, I, I saw this, like, this is the only place in the whole New Testament where our Lord calls himself Jesus Christ. Oh, it's very interesting. He calls himself Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
So in doing so, he's affirming that he, Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God, was the only true Christ, the only true Messiah and Savior. He is the one. And God the Father is the only true God. He says that right here, too. You are the only true God, and Jesus Christ, his Son, is the only true Messiah. And so that begs a question for each one of us, brothers and sisters, today. What about you? Do you know the Father and the Son? Do you know them? Not, not just know about them. Everyone in this room knows about them because I've just preached this message. So if you've been faintly paying attention, you know about God the Father and about Jesus his Son. But do you know them in your soul and in your heart? Do you know them? The Father has been revealed by Jesus Christ himself. If you know Jesus, you know and love God the Father. If you know and love Jesus, you know and love God the Father. If you do not, then you do not know God the Father, and you do not have eternal life. If you know Jesus, you have life. If you don't know Jesus, you have no life. Let that sink in. It's my prayer that none of us leave this room today without knowing and trusting in the Lord Jesus from the depths of our souls. And we'll finish with verses four and five. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus accomplished the work the Father gave him to do. He had performed the Father's will. He had delivered his message. He had not only taught, but perfectly lived the truth. He had defeated sin and brought in everlasting righteousness. We read that in Daniel chapter 9. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so he glorified the Father on earth and finished the work given him to do. Having endured the cross, he was fully entitled to enter in to the joy set before him. Having poured out his soul unto death, it was fitting that the Father should divide him a portion with the great, Isaiah 53. Having glorified the Father on earth, it was fitting that the Savior Jesus should be glorified in heaven with the glory that he had laid aside that he had in the presence of God before the world even existed. We read about that in Philippians 2. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he, he laid, a, laid that aside, humbled himself, took the form of a man, was obedient to the will of God, even to death on the cross, so that his name would be lifted up and magnified. Name above all names, King of kings, Lord of lords. All would praise him to the glory of God the Father. So what do, what do we do with all this, brothers and sisters? How does this impact our lives today? And what do we do with this? Well, we can, we can try to understand and, 
and, and follow the way that Jesus modeled for us. Jesus is modeling these things for us. He's speaking these words for our benefit. He didn't have to speak this prayer out loud. He's one with the Father. He spoke it out loud for you and for me, for our benefit, for his disciples' benefit. So we would know. And so we put aside living for our own glory and focus our thoughts and attentions and affections on living for the glory of God. Take an inventory of your heart and what you do day after day after day. Am I doing this for my own glory? Am I doing this for the glory of my children? Am I doing this for the glory of my business? Am I doing this for the glory uh, that I would have in my bank account or whatever, my reputation? What, what am I doing this for? What am I living for? Young people, the earlier in your lives you can understand this, the more joy-filled life you will experience. You know, people that get to the end of their lives, they never understand this. They're living for their own glory, and they're never, ever satisfied. Ever. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon had everything your heart could desire and imagine. It was all vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So take an inventory of your own life, your own heart. Am I living for God's glory or am I living for my ego, my own glory? And redirect that. I'm not saying you go off and be a monk somewhere in a monastery or anything like that. We live in the world. We're not of the world. Jesus was in the world. He wasn't of the world. But we need to redirect our desires, our affections, our thoughts to living for for our own glory, to living for the glory of God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I love that quote from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so, brothers and sisters, we take up our cross and we follow Jesus into humility, love, and service to God and to each other, loving our neighbor as ourselves. We humble ourselves and consider the needs of others more important than our own, Philippians 2. It's a turning from living for self to living for God. We live and move and breathe and act from a center of love in our hearts that enables us to withhold judgment and instead show grace, mercy, and compassion to others. We bring glory to God the Father by sharing the truth of the gospel with others so that they can know Jesus and bring glory to God through faith in him. So let's all ask the Lord to show us. Each one of us is different. God, show me. Show me how I can live in humble love and service towards others for your glory, God. Help me. God has work for each of us to accomplish in this life. That's why we're here. He has work for us to accomplish. He had work for Jesus to accomplish. Jesus accomplished the work. He has work for you and me to accomplish in this life. That's why we're here, young and old. Let's keep our eyes and hearts on him and live to accomplish that work for God's own glory. Amen.